This is the Raising Athletes Podcast, Episode 10, with Emmy Award-winning sports anchor for the Los Angeles Lakers, Chris McGee. Hi. This is, I'm, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Once you know it's for real, I know. you're like, uh, <laughs> okay. uh. Hi, I'm Kirsten Jones. And I'm Susie Walton. And this is our podcast, hashtag Raising Athletes with Kirsten and Susie. Our passion is supporting parents and raising not only strong athletes, but extraordinary people. Join us each week as we tackle all topics youth sports, including everything from early specialization and overuse injuries, to helping our kids feel empowered and learn how to advocate for themselves, not only in the classroom and on the court, but at dinner tables and in their communities. We'll be talking to coaches, athletes, parents, and anyone else who will speak to us <laughs> about their experiences with youth sports and their paths to success. And even more importantly, their failures. Yes, we're going to get into the gritty details of what went wrong so that we can all learn from it, teach our kids and ourselves how to do better next time. Because in the words of Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. So welcome to Raising Athletes, because we love to win too. Let's do this. Today on the Raising Athletes podcast, episode 10, we are excited to welcome Chris McGee, an award, Emmy award-winning sports anchor for the Los Angeles Lakers. Chris, an LA native, ended up playing volleyball in college at Cal State Northridge, including captaining a team that made it to the national championship game. We'll talk today about that experience. Post-college, he became a club and high school coach and was a five-time national championship coach for both boys and girls volleyball teams. Eventually, he got into sports casting. He'll tell us the story of how he got into it for ESPN, Fox Sports Net, and has been a longtime voice for the AVP, for the beach volleyball, including um, being the broad a broadcaster in the Beijing Olympics, which brings us to his current role as the Los Angeles Lakers studio anchor for Spectrum Sports and his favorite job as a husband and a father of two. We're excited to welcome Chris to Raising Athletes. Today on Raising Athletes podcast, we're excited to have Chris McGee. I, a Emmy award-winning sports anchor. But before we introduce our guest, let us tell you a bit about ourselves. I'm Kirsten Jones, a peak performance and sports parenting coach. My passion is helping others align their values with their mission and their mindset to get what they want in life. As a former Division I athlete and a 14-year Nike executive, I have always been curious about what makes peak performance possible. As a mother of three young athletes and someone who is currently in the middle of supporting my oldest son's dream to play sports in college, Susie and I have created this podcast to help other parents who are trying to raise not only strong athletes, but more importantly, extraordinary people. And I'm Susie Walton, founder of Indigo Village, mom of four amazing sons, and the grandma of nine little ones. I'm a speaker, author, and family coach. I've always loved sports, being an athlete myself, I'm still playing beach volleyball. My passion is kids, and the one best way I know how to support kids is by supporting their parents and creating the family of their dreams. Yay. So welcome today to Chris McGee. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us. 
love the introductions there. Good work. <laughs> We've been working on those. Um, first, we want to dive into a little bit of your background. I'm going to ask you a few questions, and then I'll toss it over to Susie to talk about kind of how you got to where you are. But maybe we could start a little bit about with um, how did you discover your passions? Like, what sports did you play growing up? Um, kind of give our audience a little bit about who you were as a kid and how you got to Cal State Northridge. You know, I grew up in the, in the San Fernando Valley and I had an older brother, Matt, um, five, he is five, five years older than me and my dad, um, and mom. So it's just the four of us. And my dad loved sports and he watched sports religiously on TV and he played them growing up. So that's all I knew really. I mean, from the time I could walk or I can remember, I was playing t-ball and then baseball, football, basketball. And, and we had a neighborhood where there was a bunch of kids around the same age and we had game after game going on. So I just grew up in that culture and that was all I knew. In the fall, we played football. In the wintertime, it was basketball season. In the summertime, uh, in the spring, it was baseball. And, and that's just all that, that I knew growing up. So for me, sports was a way of life and, and, and it's all I ever wanted to, to be a part of, really, to be honest with you. So, but eventually you found volleyball, but that wasn't until college or? You know, you know what, ironically, eighth grade, and I always go back to eighth grade. I, I went to a small Catholic school, St. Catherine's, and it was grades one through eight. And after that, I was going to go to Crespi High School. That's where my mom worked. That's where my brother went. It's an all boys private school. And it, it's all I knew. And that's, I wanted to play basketball at Crespi. And when I was in eighth grade, I struggled, I think, uh, through my elementary school years in terms of like staying focused and, and I would get in trouble. And, and it was funny. My mom and dad would always go to uh, the parent teacher conference and they would come out and it was the same thing every year. It was, it was, Chris has so much potential, but he just can't sit still. And it just would go on. He's so social. And, and by the way, Susie's laughing because she's not still that way. But so ironically, the teacher that I had in eighth grade, Teresa Denton, for something switched for me and I got focused and I got great grades. She believed in me and she was a former volleyball player. She played at Cal State Northridge. She started a boys team and she coached us and we played in the Catholic youth league and we went all the way to the semifinals and she developed this love that I had for the game. So I go to high school and there's no volleyball team at Crespi. So I play football, basketball, baseball, my 10th grade year. I decided to concentrate on just basketball and I quit football and I quit baseball. Lo and behold, we started a boys volleyball team and it was around the year, 1986, 87, a lot of high schools started to get boys volleyball. So all the basketball players said, let's go out for volleyball. I love volleyball. So I started to play. And from that point on, from my sophomore, junior and senior year, I played basketball and volleyball. Now basketball was always my number one, but my senior year, my senior year, a friend of mine named Kenny Lynch, he was a big time volleyball player. He was getting recruited by Pepperdine and UCLA and Northridge. And we got recruited at the same time. And what's so funny about me going to Northridge was all while, while all this was going on, I was being recruited to play some college basketball. None of it was big time major schools, but it was all like the D2s, D3s, NAIA schools. LMU was probably the one D1 school that was looking at me. Hmm. And I went and I, I met John Price. He was coach at Cal State Northridge and ironically, a former Crespi grad. Hmm. I met John. Kenny and I went on a trip. I came back 
John set up a meeting for me to meet him, like a, a, a one-on-one. I went there on a Saturday. I came home and I told my parents, I'm going to Northridge and I'm playing volleyball. And they're like, hold on, hold on. What about all the, <laughs> all the time we put into basketball and you're getting recruited? I was like, I'm playing volleyball for John Price at Northridge. And that's how I got to Northridge. All those other, I was doing so many, um, I was trying to get into so many schools and I was talking to all these college coaches and you know, I was get, trying to get the test scores up so I can go to some of these private division smaller division three schools that didn't offer a lot of money, but you had to get in and you had to get the, the, um, the financial aid. So I was going through all that process. And all of a sudden I was like, I met John and I'm like, I'm in, I'm playing volleyball. And it really changed my path of where I am today. I mean, had I, I always joke about it, but had I, had I played basketball instead, I probably would have gone to like university of Redlands and I'd probably live out there now and have a bunch of kids and coach like JV basketball at school, which isn't a bad thing. No. Which isn't a bad thing but it totally changed my path on where I am now. It's crazy. Isn't that beautiful? How I think yeah. it's like sliding doors almost, right? You're like, 100%, 100%. yeah, I could have gone this way. I could have gone that way. Yep. And I think we discovered yesterday, we both were on championship teams that lost yes. ugh, in the very finals, right? And yes. one thing that we like to talk about here is not only the good stuff, which is always fun to talk about winning the national title, but Let's talk about, so you make it, obviously made a great choice because you get on a national championship team against UCLA in the 93 finals and maybe take us through kind of what happens and um, maybe the big learnings that came out of that for you. Yeah. I mean, really the learning goes from day one of when I stepped foot on campus. I mean, remember I wasn't a volleyball player growing up, so it really wasn't my best sport. I was getting good at it, but I was a, a star, at least growing up in Little League. And then in basketball, I, I was an MVP and it was all CIF. So I, I, I felt good about myself there. I, I go to college and I play volleyball and I'm low man on the totem pole. And, and I'm sitting on the bench with guys that were player of the year in the city section, the CIF section. So I wasn't getting in playing time when I was young. And I had to really learn what it was like to impact a team when you don't step on the floor. And I think that helped me later in life as a coach, as a parent, uh, in broadcasting, I, I, I think a bond that I have with Susie's son, Luke, a lot of it is born out of the way we both view team. And when he and I connected and we started playing volleyball together and just having fun together, like we, we love winning. We love being about the team. And that's how Luke coaches now. And it's what I love about him the most. And it's really, I think I learned that in college because I had to find a way to impact this team. I was a captain and not even a starter when we went to that national championship game. I came off the bench and I would serve and play some defense. The setter that set ahead of me was a guy named Matt Unger, who to this day is is one of my best friends in the world. And we competed against each other every day in practice, but we were best friends off the court. And, um, and and I, and I learned a lot. And and to go to your question about getting the national championship games, ironically, my daughter was just my oldest daughter, Millie. I have two daughters, Luca, who's seven and Millie, who's 10. She just asked me about this the other day because it comes up a lot, trust me. And, um, you know, losing that championship game to this day still hurts. Just the other day, it was a 25-year anniversary. And, uh, and, and my buddies and I still text about it, the guys who were on that team, with, with our coach. And it still hurts. But I wouldn't trade that journey or that process or getting there ever. Um, my daughter asked if it was my greatest athletic achievement. And I said, probably getting to the final four was because it was a dream come true for me. I literally dreamt about it as a kid. I, I always dreamt it would happen in basketball, but I dreamt that moment and, and it happened. And then we got to the national championship game and 
you know, what I remember, and I'd be interested to hear what you remember about that day. There's little things that I, I can absolutely clear, clearly remember about 25 years ago. Back then, there was a third-place game that they played. So Penn State played Ohio State for a third-place match in a meaningless game, and they don't do that anymore. But that game went to overtime in the fifth game, and it went on forever and ever. And we were out there, like, stretching and waiting and getting nervous. And I remember looking around the crowd, and there's 10,000 people. UCLA never stepped foot out of their locker room. Mm. You know, they were at home at Pauly. We had to play them at their place. And they never <laughs> – their coach had been there a million times and he knew not to get caught up in that. There we were like a deer in headlights looking around like, <laughs> Oh my God, this is amazing. The game just kept going on. We got more and more nervous. And, you know, we just weren't ready to take that step. Um, UCLA was the better team. Ironically at the 20 year anniversary, they finally put a banner up at Northridge and all my teammates, we all went back. And of course they picked yeah. me to speak for some reason. <laughs> and, and I finally said it 20 years later, I'm like, guys, UCLA was just better than us. Cause for 20 years, we kept telling ourselves we could have won that game. <laughs> they were better. They were the better team. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but yeah, it, it taught me a lot. Listen, you, did you take them to five? No, we lost in oh. three, but back then remember it's regular scoring. Oh so yeah. Side out scoring. The game went for three hours. Uh, oh. so it was close, but they were definitely better. And, um, you know, I, I learned a lot from that. Like, listen, you can chase your dreams and you can put all the work in the world in, and you don't always come out on the winning side. Sometimes you do, but you take away from all those moments, winning and losing, you take positives out of that. And, and I look back on that and it's funny. I'll, I'll always look on Twitter or something, social media after championship games and whether it's college football, whether it's NBA, I always have a little soft spot for the team that loses. And I always get a little emotional in my own mind and heart thinking about that loss. I, it still does. And yet I, I have joy for the people who won. But I'll, I'll always see this argument come up on, on social media. And it's like, I would rather not get there than lose or get crushed. Mm. And, and I always go, you must not have ever been there then. Mm. And I'm wondering if you feel that same way. Oh, because for sure. I'm not trading losing in the title for anything. You got there. <laughs> yeah. You got there. You can't ever take that away from me. So I take that with me forever. Yeah. You know? No, absolutely. And I'm, I did get to be a part of three state championship teams in volleyball and basketball. So I got the taste on the other yep. side too. Yep, but for sure. I remember the loss more than I remember the wins, which is also interesting, right? Because no of how painful, but it also becomes that pivotal moment where you say, okay, what do I really want? And you start to dig deeper. And that's, I think, the gift. Right? Yeah. And, and, and guys, doesn't it still drive us to this day? I mean, it, yeah. it, you know, we're, we're all athletes. I mean, Susie's out there today playing beach volleyball. Why? Because she loves it. She gets her work in. She's competitive. There's still that juice that flows. I don't think that ever leaves us. I mean, yeah. listen, she's been out there and she watches her son play. We're, we're, we're playing on a Tuesday, you know, with like eight guys. And listen, we, we want to win those games, right? For me, that is my dad. <laughs> you know, really <laughs> I think the beauty of it, I think that's why we're all bonded together. Yeah. And you have those kind of people in your life because that's what makes us better and it drives me in my broadcasting field and it drives me when I'm watching Laker games like I want to win like I'm on that team it just I don't know it's just how I've been wired I think it goes back to being a kid and and want to play with my older brother want to play with everyone in the neighborhood now I see it with with my own kids you know it's a way for me to connect with them so it really comes full circle so I have a question for you here as we're talking about the full circle um kids parents out there listening to this right now Many are trying to figure out how can they make a career out of a passion, which hmm. is what you did. Yeah. And how did you actually get from Cal State Northridge into the announcing and coaching path? Was it like a master plan or just luck? Yeah. Or 
And, and you know, yeah. I say, will you please start with your backyard story? Yeah, listen, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, such a great, it's such a great question. And obviously you guys know I like to talk, so I can take it so many different ways. So I'll try to put it in a way that's best for the audience to understand. When I was a little kid, and you guys found this article, so you know I'm going to bring it up right now. When I was a little kid, I would play games in my yard. My front yard was basketball. My backyard was um, baseball. And in my, uh, in my front lawn was football games. And I would be playing one-on-one with myself. I had a full league. I had, got, I had rosters. I had coaches. I was doing play-by-play while I was playing the game. Meanwhile, this is going on until it shouldn't go on. I'm probably 13 still doing this, you know, from age like five. And I remember when a kid down the block would come during the middle of my basketball game, I would like, hey, hold on a second. I got to go to the bathroom. I would run in, write the score down, what the time was. And I'd be like, damn it, I got to finish this game as soon as he leaves. You know what I mean? So like I I was out of that. So fast forward all these years later, my mom and my neighbor, Dolly, who was really good friends with my mom, she recently passed away. They knew I was doing this the whole time. They watched me. She would watch me out of her window across the street. My mom knew what was going on. They'd watch me like using, word, you know, my mouth open and talking and fake tackling myself and diving. I had this whole thing going on. I thought no one was watching. They knew the whole time. So it's pretty funny that there I was doing play-by-play, you know, at six years old and, and calling my own games. And here I am at 46 years old and my childhood team favorite team of all time, the Los Angeles Lakers. Here I am doing the games for them, you know, oh. hosting the pre and post, uh, standing on the sideline, reporting back in 2006, 2010. I'm flying with Luke and the team as the reporter to go to Boston for the championship series. I'm traveling with them during the playoffs. So I, I, it, it's, it's really amazing where this all started when you think back to being six years old and, and in my backyard thinking no one was watching, but of course they were. <laughs> so what, what was that, what was that step that got you there? Like you know, I, I, that that's a great question. So, so Susie, when I was when I was in college, I immediately started coaching, and no one else really did on my team. But like, I went back and helped my Crespi team as an assistant when I was a freshman, and I would go do summer camps for hoops. I would go back and help coach, and then I started coaching club volleyball right after my freshman year. So I was an assistant coach on club volleyball teams every summer out of when I was in college. So I was coaching boys and, and, and then my buddy started a club and I was helping there. So I think the coaching path was what I always thought I would be. I wasn't thinking TV broadcasting. I was thinking I'm going to be a teacher and a coach. That's all I knew. So when I got done, you know, it's crazy. You know, we talk about sliding doors and, and where I would have been when I was a senior. In 1994 in volleyball, my high school basketball coach, his name was Paul Muff, and he was a legend at Crespi. He's the athletic director and the basketball coach. I was his guy, and he always said, the day you're done in college, I want you to be the freshman basketball coach at Crespi. It's kind of like a rite of passage, and I was one of his favorite players, and, and I, that, that was going to be my role. And the earthquake hit in January 17th, 1994. Two weeks after that, he passed away. He had a blood clot in his leg and it, it got mm. to his liver and he died. And you know what, guys? I never stepped foot on that campus for a few years. I never went back to Crespi. And while all that was going on, my senior year of volleyball in the spring and kind of mourning the loss of Paul Muff, who was a big mentor for me, my good friend, Jared Elliott, uh, who's the, now the head coach at University of Texas, he was coaching Marymount Girls Volleyball. 
And, and he was running a club called West Side Girls Volleyball Club with another good friend of mine, Tim Jensen. And, he, and they said, hey, come help us coach our 17s team. Uh, a buddy of ours can't coach them into a festival. So the day my season ended, I was so distraught. I was kind of devastated. My athletic career was over. Uh, when we lost to, up at Stanford to Pepperdine in my regional semifinal, I, I, I stayed in that locker room and cried for 45 minutes. My mom had to come and get me out. It was really strange. And I was really depressed that next week. Didn't go to class, nothing. And they told me, come coach this 17-year-old team. And I went and coached this girls team. It was the first time I'd been a head coach. And this team kind of brought me to life. And like I was all of a sudden excited. We made this amazing run at nationals and took them to like eighth place when they went in as like the 50th seed or something. And it was at that moment that I was a coach and I was on my way. I was Next thing you know, I was coaching with Tim at Campbell Hall for volleyball and basketball. I was coaching girls at Marymount with Jarrett and I never took the Crespi path of basketball. I went to, it, it really guided me to where I was going. And it, it's strange how, how that step is. You, you asked Susie, like, what was the next step? My next step was coaching. I mean, I did it from 1990 when I was a freshman in college all the way till 2011. It wasn't until I got the Laker job that I stopped coaching. Tim and I went on to coach girls volleyball. Wait, 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 wait. How did you, what was that? What was that step? What, how did you get the Laker from coaching? Okay, yeah, so you, got from, you, yeah. you got from playing to coaching and now, so you're not, oh, I'm, now I'm announcing now the Lakers. Lakers. So yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, Doesn't everybody? By, yeah. I, I just fell side, no. side note. <laughs> Listen, I've always said about your son, Luke, he could step on, he could step on dog poop. And he'd look at his shoe and there'd be a hundred dollar bill on the dog poop. <laughs> Some people just get lucky and I got lucky. No, so here's what happened. So I was coaching from 1990, basically all the way to 2011. From at about 2000, uh, 1998, um, this, is, this is when I really took that next step for broadcasting wise. So, you know, I think I'm a teacher and a coach. That's what I'm doing. And I start emceeing events in, in volleyball all for fun, right? Like hmm. the first time I ever touched a microphone, true story, 1995, we're in Cabo San Lucas for a fun six-man tournament. And I'm in the ocean. My team had just lost. And I'll never forget, two, two of my buddies came in. They're like, Geeter, Geeter, they want someone to uh, announce the finals. Go do it. And I'm like, okay. And I went and grabbed the microphone and I was drinking cocktails and I just started going and I'm doing play by play for the game. I'm doing it in like Marv Albert voices, all kinds of stuff. They played the Macarena was a new song at that time. I'm doing the dance, the Macarena, the break dancing. Oh I'm God. doing all this stuff. And, and ironically, fast forward three years. So now it's 1998, the AVP beach volleyball tour needed an extra announcer because both guys that were emceeing those events had wives that were pregnant and they were going to miss some events. The president of the AVP at the time, John Stevenson, who's recently passed away, a former great volleyball player, he was there in Cabo. So when they went to him and said, oh, our buddy Geeter, he goes, oh, I remember that guy. So he gave me the job without having any kind of demo reel. I started going around mm. the AVP volleyball tour in 1998 with a guy named Jim Arico, who's a big mentor for mine. He took me under his wing. I, I'm telling you, the first time he wanted me to introduce someone at an AVP event, we were in Tucson, 1998. He goes, are you ready? And it was before, it was just like you guys introduced me right before the game. He gave me the mic. I looked at him. I threw the mic back in his face. I panicked. Okay? <laughs> By the end of that tournament, I'm out there yelling to the crowd, breakdancing, doing all the stuff. And I was on my way. So the first step for me in terms of TV and where I am now was picking up a microphone in Cabo in 1995. In 1998, I got lucky. 
and I was the AVP guy. I announced seven tournaments by myself, went and probably six others with Jim. By the next year, one of the announcers had retired. I became a full-time guy. And by 2000, I was the only guy. And I was wow. emceeing events. And through that, it was 1999 where I said, man, I should look into this a little bit more. And I took a sports broadcasting class from a guy named Lou Riggs. And Lou Riggs taught broadcasting at Santa Monica City College. I took Lou Riggs's class. And Lou took a liking to me. I was probably the oldest guy in the class. I was 26, 27 at the time. He took a liking to me. Uh, he, he brought me to Santa Monica High School games. We would do those together. I would sit up in Pauley Pavilion with a recorder and do games with him. And, um, and he was the guy that really hmm. believed in me and helped me. And it, it's just crazy where I, came, where I went from there. Like I was emceeing beach volleyball in the summertime. I was a teacher and coach from September to June. And then in the summer, I would change hats and become this entertainer for Po Beach Volleyball. And then M uh, NBC and Fox would start using me. They'd be like, hey, Geter, you should do a hit for us. So I would grab the mic. I would do a hit on TV. And then little by little, things just started happening. You know, Fox Sports said, hey, why don't you come on our beach volleyball show? And I started doing that. I started hosting. That was in 2003. 2004, they said, why don't you do play-by-play -play for Pac-10. I had never done it before. I said, yes, I'm in. And I started doing it. Fast forward to 2006, I'm on the sideline doing Lakers. Wow. Fast forward to 2008, I'm doing ESPN broadcast for a Big West basketball game. I mean, it just, it, it just started to roll. And all the while, I'm coaching and teaching, right? In 2006, because I think the support of my wife, Jess, like, that's when I quit teaching. And I said, if I'm going to do this TV thing, it's, it's go time, right? I'm 35 years old. And it's, it's time to go and, and, and you got to put everything into it. And I did. And I had a lot of people help me along the way, Lou Riggs, who I had mentioned and, and people that believed in me. And, uh, and it was my passion, right? Like I, and I guess to go back to what you originally asked me, Sue's like, you can, your passions can change, right? Like I have a passion for coaching. There's just something in me that I love to do it. And I'm finding it now coaching my daughter's teams. Like, I love it. There's something about seeing a team build and grow and win and lose and get better. But there's this other side of me where I love being in TV. I, I love it. And, and I didn't know it until I picked up that microphone in Cabo that this was something I was born to do. Everyone else in my life knew because they saw me doing it when I was five years old. Right. But I, re, I, I refound it later in life, guys. I was in my 20s, mid-20s. So it's never too late to, to go after it. You know, the two things I'm hearing from you, Aggie, that I'm hearing from with the weave throughout what you're speaking about is you are really good at saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. And, and you've been really fortunate to have some amazing mentors no along the way, whether you had one before that got you to volleyball mm -hmm. or you knew, Oh, sports announcing it. And then you found your mentor through that. And I think for people out there listening, especially the coaches that are listening and teachers, you, it's an, I always say it only takes one adult to make a difference in a child's life. Yeah. And, you know, for coaches to realize that impact that they can have on a single player or a teacher, it's so important listening to your story. But you, and also for you, you just said, yes, you're in Kabul. You're like, yeah, yeah. You know, you're announcing some game, Pac-10 game. You said, yes. And you have no, really no idea what it's going to, you just know inside and say, yes. Susie, you hit on something so important and crucial there. And I think that's why now when young broadcasters or some colleges or a high school ask me to speak or come in, I, I say yes, 
because I know that maybe I can inspire, like I was inspired and look no further than your own sons, right? And your son, Luke, like think about it. He had you as a, a mom, Bill as a father who played for John Wood, and then he had his high school coaches. He had Luke, he had Philly, he had Steve, all these great mentors along the way that really believed in him and helped foster him. And I had that same that, 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 that same path where I had people that believed in me. And I think that is so powerful when someone actually believes in you and gives you an opportunity. My one message, guys, that I always tell coaches, I tell kids, I tell students that want to be in broadcasting, when, oppor- when preparation meets opportunity, you're, you're ready to go. Like, be ready to, and say yes. Like, be prepared because your opportunity is going to come up. Somewhere someone's going to give you a chance. Are you prepared to take it? And are you prepared to knock it out of the park when you do? Because that's what I always said. Give me a chance. And I knocked on every door, every boss, even before I was ready. Hey, can I host that? Can I do that? And I had great bosses along the way that told me when I wasn't ready and wouldn't let me. And then when I was ready, gave me the chance. And then when you have it, that's when you got to swing and go for yeah. it. And believe in yourself that you can do it. I love that. We, yeah, we were going to go into this whole thing about mindset, but you kind of answered <laughs> all, all of those questions by so brilliantly by taking us through that. But the thing I kept hearing was I showed up, right? And so when we show up for ourselves, when we say this is important mm-hmm. to us, then we give ourselves opportunities no for doubt. all of those things to happen. And you said yes, which was even more beautiful. But the fact that you're willing to put yourself out there and I think a lot of times, like we coach the kids, is we're afraid of what the outcome's going to be, so we self-select out, right? Yeah, that, that, that's a great point, Kirsten, because I think people are afraid to have their kids see failure. And there's so much that can be done and so much that you can teach and so much that you can build on through those losses and through that disappointment. And I, I face it living in this town, as I'm sure you guys do, I mean, we're in LA, right? We're in the heart of it. We're in Manhattan Beach, and there's a lot of successful people here that that have a lot young, and and you're always trying to keep your kids grounded and know that hey, we work for what we get, and and here are our goals. And when we come up short, then we retool and we go after it again. I mean, that's just kind of how I was raised, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm trying to do that with, with my own kids. Yes. So, what advice do you have for parents um, about helping their kids follow their passion, whether it's sports or you know anything? You know, for me, I have a couple of rules and that I seem to follow. And, and listen, and Susie, you know, my wife, Jess, like I learn a lot from her throughout the day. She's so mindful and, and knows how to be present. So I think that really helps me as a parent because listen, I am very competitive and it drives me and I want to be out there going, come on, girls, let's go do this. Let's go do this. But one rule, and actually Judd Bushler taught me this, who's an assistant coach for your son, Luke, and went to Arizona and grew up in San Diego. He always said, Peter, when my daughters asked me to pepper or play volleyball or do something, I always said, yes, say yes. So I remember last year in the NBA finals mm. and Millie comes up to me and says, my oldest goes, daddy, let's go outside and, and, and pepper. Let's rally. What do you think I said? Yes. Even though my beer is cold and I'm looking at that game <laughs> and it's high 42, 42, that's my opportunity because I don't want to be the one that says, let's go do this. I want to have that available for them for sure, Kirsten, but, and Susie, but, but, I want, but I want them to be driven. I want them to be the ones that say, can I go do this? Let's go do that. Like my oldest Millie is very self-motivated. So she'll want to, you know, before volleyball tryouts, like a couple of weeks leading up to her, before the 5K that she ran or before this, she wants to get up early and, and go work out. Like we'll go, we'll go volleyball. So we'll literally get up at 6.15 in the morning 
and, and, and I'll go take her down to the beach and we'll play for 45 minutes, a half hour. That's not a long time, but it's plenty of time, time for us to connect and it's her driving it. So for me, mm, that's and for what I always tell parents, your kids drive it. And when they drive it, you can foster it, man. And listen, if you're as competitive as I am and, and, and listen, sports is such a way for me to connect. So like, obviously I'm hoping and I want to, and sometimes I'll like, roll the ball into the kitchen and hopefully they'll see it. They'll be like, Oh, let's go rally. coaching You know, all of a sudden a ball hits them on the head. Hey, where'd that volleyball come from? No, but you know, for me, it's like when I, I, I want them to be self-driven, I want to, I want to lay the template out there and, and Jess as well. We want to foster it. We will sign them up for things, but I don't sign them up and say, you're doing this. Do you want to do this? And if you do show me, and then yeah, you, you'll play soccer. You can play basketball. Do you want to? We're not just going to sign you up for beach volleyball class at Patty Dot on a Friday unless you want to go. And, and when they say yes, we're going. That's nice. Great. Yeah. So, we talk about that a lot, being intrinsically driven and intrinsically motivated. And if yeah. they are driving the process, that's the only way you can, they can succeed and, in the long run. Right? And Kirsten, listen, I'm not like, because of my schedule, which is afternoon, night driven by Lakers during the season. So I know when my times are. So if that's in the morning at six, then I'm doing it. If it's on my one-off day from three to four, then I'm doing it. When it's now my schedule's so much better and I'm home by six and it's still light out. She wants to play. The little one wants to play. We do it, right? Like that's, that's, that's how I have to be responsible. You know, they're looking for me. They want to connect. They just want to be with me. And if we can rally and pepper or shoot hoops during that, then let's do it. You know, I think that's the job of the parent too. Like you're not too tired. You're not, you know, don't put, put that beer down, put that game down. It'll be there for you because that, that time is so limited with your kids. Right. Because guess what? There's going to be a day where they don't need me to pepper anymore. Yep. And, and I'm going to miss that time. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So I'll finish this sentence for us. Mm-hmm. The best athletes I know do this, it, whether it's an approach oh, or good. skills. That's, good. that's so good. The best athletes I know do do work when nobody is watching. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the best that I know, they are self-motivated, which we just talked about, but they also put in the work when the cameras aren't there and the fans aren't there and it's not on your documentary and it's not on your Instagram page and it's not on your Snapchat and it's you working to get better because that's what you want. The best uh, have a competitive drive in them that is tough to teach. I think it's just an ability and it's just a, a, a mindfulness that they have, a growth in them that they, they're driven to get better. They're driven to be their best and it comes from themselves, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that I'm always mindful of, man, I don't want these kids to burn out. Like I love them playing different sports. I feel like it just naturally evolves into one. And I'm so sad that in today's society, you don't, you're, not, you're not really allowed to play three or four sports. You know, club coaches don't want you to. And that, that always makes me sad. So I'm always giving the advice of like, hey, the best athletes were the ones that played multiple sports when they were younger, found their love in their teens, and then they went for it. Nice. Thank you. Awesome. Mm-hmm. 
We want to end with kind of a fun question if you're willing to play along. I talked way too much. We're already done. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. We, we, we know you have a day job too. So yeah, we'll, <laughs> we talk, we'll talk for all day if you let us. But, <laughs> um, to end with one last question, let's say when we say sports parenting epic fail, does mm-hmm. what comes to mind? Can you think of a time when Nate does it sounds like you had great parenting um, back in your day, but you being a coach and now coaching your daughters, you know, one of the one of our goals of this podcast is yeah. to laugh at ourselves a little bit as parents and when we can step back and see, gosh, maybe that isn't the the most supportive way I can support my kids and what they're doing. I you love know, like, 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 like when a referee handed me a whistle and said, Hey, you might want to ref this game because you seem to know a lot more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> and by the way, by the way, you did. I did, but I couldn't really, I might've actually told him that deep. I'm like, well, actually I do, but I don't want to whistle. hundred <laughs> percent. I am so glad you brought this up because I'll take you back to when I was a kid. And I think why I love sports so much and I was self-driven and it helped me become who I was team-wise. My parents loved me to play sports. They wanted me to play sports. They drove me to every practice. They drove me to every game. But whether I did great or not, they still cheered me on. And when I got to college and I wasn't playing much, they still came to the games. They still supported me and they still cheered for our team. What I found out coaching club, and it really, it it hit me so early on. Um, I was coaching a seventh grade boys basketball team, you guys. And it was my first job at Campbell Hall. And we had a good boys team. And there was a dad whose kid was a point guard. And he was taking me under his wing. And he was giving me UCLA hoops tickets. And he was showing me what offense he ran with the boys in the summer on their little club team. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And we get to a game. And and his son was kind of out of control. And he was airballing. And he got a technical. and, 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 and And I took him out. And I sat him. And I put in our little backup point guard and he played unbelievable. And I ended up putting his son back in and his son settled in and we actually won that game in overtime. And I'll never forget. My dad was at the game. My dad passed away a year ago. So I always remember Mm -hmm. things that that he was at. My dad was at that game and we chatted in the parking lot and then he left. And that dad came up to me from that point guard and he lit me up and said that I taught his son a bad lesson. And I was 24 years old, 23 years old. And he's like, how could you yank my son, blah, blah, blah. And it was at that moment, something hit me and I stood up for myself. And I, I simply said, Mr. Carabas, I said, I truly believe I did your son a favor. He was a little out of control. He got a technical foul. I believed in our bench. I thought it was the right time to take him out. And by the way, we ended up winning that game. And I thought your son, I go, I thought your son did a really nice job when he came back in. And at 23 years old, I had the know-how and the, I, I, I said that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't scared of him. I believed it and I said it and it's shaped how I coached forever because all the way through winning a junior Olympics gold medal or whatever, you would still, I would still see certain parents that were not happy and certain parents that would not cheer when their kid was not in the game and they would sit there with a pouty look. And I thought to myself, man, you're not teaching your kid the right way. Like support this team. Don't get in the car. I would always tell parents, don't get in the car and talk about the game right away. Mm -hmm. Don't talk about the coach not playing you. Don't talk about other kids. Talk about something else. Your kid will come to you when they want and talk about that game. They just want you to be mom and dad. So support your kid, whether they're playing or not. 
and just love what they're a part of. Like there is value in being on a team and never stepping off that bench. I'm going to tell you guys something. In my five best wins in my life in college, my five best wins in my life, three of them, I never stepped on the court. Wow. But I won those games. I'm mm-hmm. a part of that team. So I think that's a big message for parents. Like, listen, your kid's not always going to be a star. It's okay for them to fail. It's okay for them to work their butt off and practice and not be the starter. Support that. And let's learn from that. They'll be better for it later in life. I love that, that Mammoth basketball team a couple of years yeah. ago when they were doing all the sideline yeah. cheering, right? Yes. And I was coaching a client this year who had a bench role on his team. Yeah. And I said, here's the video. This is what you need to do. This is your job. This is your role. We each have a role on a team. Sometimes yeah. you get to be the star. Of course, we always want to be the star. But sometimes that's not what our role is. And if that's not your role, then be the best of whatever your role is so that yeah. you, can, you, know, you can be a part of the, the, the team. It, it was so interesting. Pause. Yeah. So my, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, I, thought no. you guys heard a little pause. My, my friend, Jared, who was a big mentor who coached at Marymount and, and SC, and now he's the head coach at Texas. He's won a national championship, all this stuff. I'll never forget when we were coaching together in the very beginning, he was telling the girls how he loved how I was on the bench. He said, we would watch Geeter on the bench because he hmm. was so fun. He goes, so you guys can learn from him. He's like, Geeter, get our bench fired up. And I remember thinking to myself, Oh, I never looked at me like that, right? <laughs> like, but he watching those games loved watching how I was on the bench with the t- doing the mama stuff, right? The yeah. waving the towels, we would do this surfing in a tube through the lawn. I mean, we did all kinds of stuff back in the early '90s before YouTube even existed, and I think that's why I loved those guys from that basketball team because it brought me back to like, hey, those guys are impacting the game, yes, and they're a big part of it. They're not getting the glory, they're not scoring the buckets, but they're just as important to that team. Yes. As, 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 as anyone else. Absolutely. Oh, this is so much fun. I know. <laughs> so much fun. Thank you, Chris. So we love, we love was... learning from the best. And I'll, I'll tell you're you. right up. When you're there. Are you announcing our game at Manhattan Beach at the sixth? <laughs> yeah, you know, I am. And you know, what's, you know, what's funny is Susie mentioned this to me the other night we were at taco Tuesday and I was like, are you kidding me? I'm in. And, <laughs> and then I told, I, I told Luke last week, I'm like, Hey, I'm going on your mom's podcast. He's like, no way. I said, Hey, Susie calls, you know, I'm in, right? Like I, I I'm, I'm going to get ready for this. I'll get a workout in beforehand. And, uh, Kirsten, it's great to get to uh, meet you and know you and Likewise. we have some mutual friends. I, yeah. uh, we discussed and uh, I love what you guys are doing. It's such a Thank cool, you. it's just so cool for parents and for kids and to have these, you know, you guys as role models. And, and I'd love to come on again if you guys, uh, when you guys get to number 50, right? Where, we where can our, our people find you? So Lakers. So, yeah. Or, no, you know, uh, or, so I'm on Twitter and I am on okay. Instagram. Okay. Um, it's Geeter3, G-E-E-T-E-R-3. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter. And, you know, we're Spectrum Sportsnet. We're the Laker channel. Uh, you get us all over the place. Um, I, I do all the pre, pre-game and post-game hosting. And I host our weekly shows throughout the year. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that sits next to James Worthy and Derek Fisher, Robert O'Reilly. I always say that. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah like, you, but bottom line, you run that show, by the yeah. way. <laughs> Someone's got to be the quarterback. You run that show. <laughs> Thanks, so parents, if you enjoyed this and you know another sports parent who's trying to get better at supporting their athlete, please, please feel free to rate and share this podcast on iTunes. Our goal Thanks. is supporting parents in raising strong athletes and extraordinary people. Can I say one more thing? Absolutely. Because I, I, I never stop. <laughs> you'll find this funny. 
So I was like done coaching in 2011 and they roped me back in. Now I'm coaching my daughter's club volleyball team. So I'm back in the coaching world and I coach Luca's little basketball team. Aww. So they, they, they rope you back in. You never <laughs> leave. You're out. You're always going to be a coach, right? <laughs> coach forever. Aww. Aww. So Thank awesome. you so much, Keith. All right, guys.